This is Basketball U. On Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Welcome in. It's Fresh Basketball U here on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tyler Rocky. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Tell all of your college hoops loving friends as well. Boy, I'm like a runaway train of thoughts for today's show. We've got so much going on in the world of college basketball. Parody reigns supreme. We will get into uh, the craziness that happened over the weekend. Coach Cal making some more headlines. Uh, he, he has a message for the haters. We'll get to all of that and more. Also, some some of the best environments I've seen have come this week. Some of the best environments of the year have come over the last, what, three days now. Um, so we will dive into all of that. And I've got a new top 12 for you as well. We'll run through the dozen in this show a little bit later on. But let's start with some of the parody that we're seeing in all of college basketball right now. And it really starts with what we saw over the weekend. 11 ranked teams lost on Saturday. That tied the record for the most ranked teams to fall in a single day that was set in 2011. Nine of those teams were on the road. Two of those games were in ranked matchups, so obviously you were going to get a ranked loser. Two more ranked teams lost on Sunday, one of which was a ranked game. And for the weekend, 13 total ranked teams. That's over half of the AP Top 25 Losing is the most in a weekend. That's the tied for the fourth or, or the fourth time that's happened. You have to go back to 2011, 2000, and 1999. Only other times we've had that level of parity. I think there's a couple of reasons why we're seeing this, and I think largely has to do with two factors, and they're kind of intertwined. One is NIL. You're seeing a lot of top-tier talent come back. You look at some of the teams that won on Saturday. Kentucky is one of the notable ones. What happened there? You got Oscar Sheboy to come back, um, and he's getting some nice NIL money to stay. Drew Timmy, he didn't lose um, over the weekend, but he's a guy who came back because the money was more lucrative in college basketball than it was to go out and maybe be a second-round pick. So you're seeing guys stay within the sport, it's helping the overall health, and it's helping some of these other teams stay older. And speaking of staying older, the other reason why I think we're seeing as much parity as we are is because of the COVID seniors. I saw a stat the other day. Seven of the top 20 scores in the Big 12 right now are all COVID fifth, sixth-year guys, guys who are getting an extra year because of COVID. Um and when you have that level of experience within your sport, you've got more guys who have sort of seen everything. There's not as much to quote-unquote experience, and they're ready for every single challenge that sort of comes their way. And I think you're seeing that bear its head right now in the, in the sport. And I think it's a good thing because there's a lot more familiarity. We're seeing anyone with the ability to beat anyone on any single given night. I mean, who would have given Kentucky after the week that they had a chance to win at Tennessee, one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. Who would have given them a chance to go out and win that game? I, I certainly didn't. I, I believe they were like a close to to a twenty point uh, underdog too in a game like that. So, um, or th- that was a ten and a half game, uh, ten and a half point spread, I believe, when it was all said and done. Uh, it was Kentucky that lost as a twenty point favorite. Uh, a couple weeks ago um, at home against South Carolina. But I digress here. That, that to me, I think, is it's good to see in the sport. It's fun. 
I mean, it, it feels like we're going through a cycle of number one overall teams, and I'll, I'll give you a little teaser right now. We do have a new number one in my top 12, so I will get to that a little bit later on. But anyway, let's get into another big upset. This one wasn't from the weekend. This was actually from last night, and it was Kansas State taking down Kansas, 83-82 in overtime in the Golden Apple of Manhattan, Kansas, and every year... I look at a couple of games when I'm watching them on TV, and I'm like, you know, that is my pick for atmosphere of the year. Last year, I'm sure a lot of people thought Coach K's last game in Cameron would be the quote-unquote atmosphere of the year pick. No, the best atmosphere I saw in all of college basketball last year was Chris Beard's return to Texas Tech after he left the Red Raiders to go take the Longhorn job. And obviously we know how things transpired there after that. But at the time, the amount of vitriol you could feel within the stadium was so cool to see the videos of the bus going from the hotel to the, to the arena, from the arena to the practice facility, all that stuff. It was amazing to see that level of passion within the fan base. And I think we saw that last night at Kansas State in a rivalry game where, I mean, Kansas State's playing as good a basketball as anybody in all of the sport right now. 16-2, and 5-1, and one in the, the most competitive conference in all of college basketball right now. And you see Jerome Tang go out there and he's fired up for this entire game. He's firing the student section up. He's firing the assistant coaches up. This was a game that from start to finish, it just had a big feel to it. I think ESPN also sort of milked it too. It was kind of funny to to listen to the broadcast because I don't know who was in charge of, of the crowd mics and stuff like that, but they jacked them all the way up. For this game, you could hear everything Bill Self was saying. You could hear uh, Boog Shambi on the call pointed out and say, You just heard Bill Self say this, this. He, he called out that guy's number and that guy's number. That means that Grady Dick's going to switch on to that guy for Kansas State defensively because he's got three or four fouls. Um, you could hear every single thing there. Uh, the rims were also really funny, too. It felt like they, they kind of switched up the mics maybe at halftime or at least switch the levels on the mics because every single Kansas State miss sounded like it was it was a flush miss but it was like sort of like the the doinks that you hear off the field goal posts right now on Sunday night football where it's just a flush sound um it feels authoritative whereas when you hear the the sounds that some of the Kansas State misses had it felt like they moved the the slider all the way up on that rim mic and it was it was overmodulated. It was like, like that was the the level of what a Kansas miss sounded like, and it was really funny to to hear that in real time. But you could feel the atmosphere in there, and I feel like you're gonna get atmosphere of the year in a lot of Big Twelve stadiums because you think about the the location of a lot of these Big Twelve teams. It's a lot in kind of these rural areas that are. Um, like, this is the only show in town type of deal. And, like, you think of, all right, Lawrence, Kansas, Manhattan, Kansas. Like, that's the only show in town. Waco, Texas, only show in town. West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Like, that is the biggest deal within their state, within their town every single night. So you're going to see these rowdy environments. The students were way into it. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then my favorite moment of the entire thing was the postgame celebration. Um 
Jerome Tang, I don't think I've ever seen this. Jerome Tang gets up on the scores table like he's Eric Devendorf and takes the, the PA mic and goes on there and starts a KSU chant. His entire team is joining him on the scores table, engaging in this KSU chant. And he gets into this spiel of, you know, this, this, is a, this was a win out of rooting and, and love for who we are as opposed to hate for the other side. And then my favorite line of it all was right before, and this was his mic drop moment here. He goes, I told y'all we'll get you one court storming. Because, I mean, that thing flooded quickly, all right? I told you all we'd get you one court storming, but from here on out, expect to win. He's putting an end to the court storming because the expectation is that Kansas State is going to win these big-level games at home. And I really like that out of this coach. Jerome Tang, again, I tweeted this last night, and you can follow me at Tyler Aki underscore. Because um, sometimes I feel like I'm tweeting to an audience of one at times, and and that one is myself. But I'd love to to interact with all of you, you college hoops diehards out there too. Um, I, I I said that this is as close as you'll find to off the Scott Drew tree, and I I love it. It's awesome. Like Scott Drew is one of the all time good guys in college basketball, and Jerome Tang. I mean, the apple did not fall far off of the, the Scott Drew coaching tree here. And it was really cool to see that level of intensity and passion within the sport um, and, and within that game. But this is a, a really fun Kansas State team. They're a very veteran group right now. You look at their, their starting lineup. They start Cam Carter, who's a sophomore. Everyone else is a junior or a senior. Pretty much everyone else on the roster is a junior or a senior. Um, there's some really cool stories on here, too. Marquise Noel is a lot of fun, 5'8", undersized guy, but he's got the second-best assist rate in the country. Keontae Johnson was a guy who he has the, the game-winning alley-oop slam in this one. You never thought he would play college basketball or basketball again. Remember, he left or he had to sit out a year at Florida for his final season because in his what was supposed to be his final season, he collapsed on the court, and they, it was kind of a... a similar situation to what happened with DeMar Hamlin too and no one thought he would play ever again and, and Keontae Johnson sat out a year and all of a sudden he, he transfers into to Kansas State and is one of the best players in the Big 12 and is having a hell of a year as well so um, just a lot of really fun players and, and stories on this Kansas State team that that makes them even that much better and that much more fun to watch on a night in and, and night out basis and Kansas State as a result will get a hefty bump in my top 12 so we will do that a little bit later on um all right how about let's, let's talk a little bit about coach Cal here all right because because that guy's on a heater this week um not only did he overcome a double digit deficit last night in their win over Georgia, a, a pretty solid Georgia team, might I add. Um, they've played some good basketball this year um, with Mike White as their new head coach. Um, yes, it feels like everyone that's making noise these days is named Mike White. White Lotus, you got the Jets quarterback, and uh, maybe the the one that college basketball fans are most familiar with is Mike White, formerly at Florida, uh, was fired. Now he's taken over at Georgia, staying in the SEC and doing some damage with the Bulldogs. But let's get, let's get into the Cal side of things here, all right? After an embarrassing week at Alabama, at home against South Carolina as a 20-point favorite, he goes out on the road to Knoxville, takes on Rocky Top, and beats number 5 Tennessee on the road. Tennessee also the number two rated team in Ken Palm as well. 
and does it pretty convincingly. They were in control of that game pretty much from the 15 to 14 minute point on the first half. You know, the Volunteers got out to a big lead in that game and then kind of watched it dwindle out of the way. But the best part of all of this was what transpired right beforehand. All right. Um, you look at what Coach Cal did in his post game press conference, and he's telling the, the reporters that he took everyone's phones and iPads and computers overnight. And then he's talking about them the next morning when they finally get their phones back. And, like, he has this, like, little twitch to him, too, in his press conference. Like, they haven't seen their phone in, in 12 hours, and they didn't know how to act with a, with a phone in their hand. And it was odd to me. Um, but, hey, it worked. It was a, a, a risk that paid off because you could take the phones, and, and who knows what happens there. Um, you could completely get guys to just check out, check all the way out on what that – what that experience and what that road trip to uh, Tennessee could be. But he takes the phones. It pays off. I'm just wondering here, and they do pick up back-to-back wins here, their their first winning streak inside the conference. Um, I'm just wondering, is this one of those situations where Cal won the battle, but is he going to win the war? By doing something like that. And again, it's a desperate times call for desperate measures. And it paid off in that game. But is it going to pay off down the road? We'll see. Uh, They've got a tough game against Texas A&M this weekend. Next week, Vanderbilt's been a team that's actually been pretty good this year. And then you've got the SEC Big 12 with Kansas. So big week up ahead here for Coach Cal and company after they kicked the fan out for saying, please go to Texas and having that sign up. Um, but I think one of the big reasons why they're they're getting their, their stride back, Oscar Shibway, he was fantastic last night. 37 points, 24 rebounds, looked every bit of the player of the year that he was um, last season, and they just need to continue to do that um, and get those sort of performances because Oscar Shibway has been a little disappointing in, in his, and again, he's still like playing at an all American level, but he's just not at the player of the year level. And if Kentucky really wants to get to that point of sniffing the NCAA tournament at this point, they're going to need him to play at that sort of level moving forward. So that was, uh, that was a good one. The other fun game from over the weekend, or I shouldn't say over the weekend, I guess it was a part of the long weekend. Um, Purdue beating Michigan state on MLK day, 64, 63 at the Breslin center. That was another great environment from this week, but it was just trading shots back and forth. Zach Eady, 32 and 17 in this game continues to stake his claim as the player of the year. Um, and then on the other side, Tyson Walker, 30 points in this one, was 4 of 8 from 3, was hitting big shot after big shot after big shot. And I I look at Michigan State as a team that, okay, they didn't win this game, but it feels like they're starting to inject a little bit of life in this team. I know they've lost a couple in a row here, but they did win four in a row, um, not to start Biggies or uh, Big Ten play because they, they played that, that game in December, but for when things got in the swing of things, they got in a little bit of a rhythm and a winning streak. Got a home game against Rutgers this week. I'm actually really intrigued by that matchup there. I, I think Michigan State has a good chance against Rutgers, especially at home. We've seen how some of these uh, really close Big Ten home games have gone. Uh, last night's a, a perfect example of that with, with Wisconsin eking out a win against Penn State. Um, 
these these games in the Big Ten every night, I feel like they're going to be within three to five points. So um, I, I really like what I saw to Michigan State in this game. They were punched in the mouth early, and it looked like Purdue was going to run away with this one. And then Michigan State comes back. They go on a 13 to four run, or 14 to three run rather right before the half gets them right back in the game. Um, and I thought this was going to be a, a game that the student section, quite frankly, willed them to victory because um, it just felt like one of those games. And I was texting Adam Abdallah because we, we had a, a wager placed on Michigan State plus the three and a half in this one. And I said, we just need to get a little 5-0 run because a 5-0 run is going to turn into a 9-0 run. And sure enough, they, they got a little 5-0 run and it turned into a 14-3 run at the end of the half. And it... it Gave them enough momentum going through it. It almost felt like halftime was coming at the wrong time for them because it was almost disrupting the momentum. But it was enough. Um, but yeah, it, it was a lot of fun watching two, these two guys go back and forth. It was like obviously Zach Eady was fantastic. He has the the big go ahead bucket at the end. Um, but Tyson Walker going head to head with Fletcher Lawyer, the two guards head-to-head in this game. Fletcher Lawyer is a freshman with no fear. Tyson Walker is a senior with no fear. Um, And sometimes it's a for better or for worse type of deal with those guys. But in this instance, it was for better on both ends. Fletcher Lawyer really came alive at the end of the game, hit some big free throws, made some big shots, and just was kind of the engine, even though Zach Eady was maybe the motor, but it felt like the, the engine was Fletcher Lawyer. And on the other side, Michigan State, I mean, Tyson Walker just kept hitting big shots for this team and was fearless and was going to step back. I really liked what Michigan State did in trying to get the mismatch of screens, take Zach Eady's guy, make him the screener, and get Zach Eady in one-on-ones with Tyson Walker. Because then Walker could get to the rim. Because Eady can't guard outside of the paint. And any any defense that he plays, it's his height and wingspan that he's taking advantage of there. And you saw Tyson Walker just step back and hit a couple of jump shots, and he's got that that really early release on his jump shot where it's like he's still going up. He's like just starting his jump when his release starts. But I think that uh, another thing, too, that Michigan State may have uncovered is the blueprint on how to guard Zach Eady, which is tough to maybe justify for a guy who goes out and has 32 and 17, right? But they basically said for the longest time, all right, Zach, you go out and beat us, all right? You're going to get yours tonight. We'll let you beat us. Everyone else has to step up if this if Purdue's going to win this game. Because you look at the box score for Purdue, and I'm counting it up right now. There were... Nine players that saw the floor for Purdue, but only five of them actually scored points. It was Lawyer, Caleb First, Braden Smith, and Mason Gillis. Like, you had a starter, Ethan Morton, who played 27 minutes. You had a guy off the bench, David Jenkins, who played 20 minutes and did not score a single point for this team. And I think that may be the proper blueprint because Zach Eady cannot beat you alone, I don't think. Um... He got help from Fletcher Lawyer down the stretch, and that's ultimately why Purdue was able to pull this off. And the other thing, too, is, I mean, the the Big Ten may have the prototypical centers to go out and beat Edie as well in some of these games. I thought Matty Sissoko did a really nice job um, 
in in just playing physical with Edie. Make him uncomfortable. Move him off of his spots. Um, he picked up some fouls. He had four fouls in this game, but I think that's part of the recipe here. Carson Cooper did a little bit of the same, but just play physical with him. Beat him up a little bit, and that was it made Edie uncomfortable. You could tell, but I, ultimately, Zach has the last laugh. He just overpowers the the Michigan State defense down the stretch and has and that was another thing why I thought Michigan State actually down the stretch was going to win this game was because I thought to myself you know game in the line I think there was like 20 seconds left when this happened I don't know if Zach Eady can be the guy with the ball in his hands listen if Fletcher Lawyer is going to beat you Fletcher Lawyer is going to beat you because he can hit some big shots like that but are you drawing something up for Zach Eady? And credit Matt Painter. He did. Eady cleared some space down low and picked up a big bucket. So I, I look at what I saw from, from Purdue. I was impressed. I was also impressed from what I saw from Michigan State as well. So th- that was a, a really fun game on Martin Luther King Day. It was nice to just kind of sit back, relax, watch that one. Um, but a lot of fun there. All right. I, I do want to address, uh, boy, I, I really I really whiffed on this one. And, and I don't think I'm alone on it. But... Um, I said my, my burning question for the Big East was, it was not if, but by how much would UConn win the Big East? And since I said that, they have gone on to lose four or five, um, including a pair this weekend, losing at home to St. John's on a Sunday. Um, it's not good right now. They also lose to Marquette, who's playing some good basketball right now. But UConn has a lot of problems right now, and... Um, I think you, you look at some college basketball teams and fouling is a problem when you are, when you rely on a big man to be as big of your team as possible. And Connecticut's sending a lot of teams to the free throw line. One of the worst, uh, free throw rates in the country right now, defensively for them. And in this game, Against St. John's, no different. I mean, Adama Sanogo gets in foul trouble. Andre Jackson can only play 20 minutes because he gets into foul trouble in this game and ultimately fouls out. But those are guys that you need in your lineup every single game. And listen, like Jordan Hawkins was fantastic. He had 31 points in this game, four of nine from three, got to the foul line as well. Um, but you need the collective unit here. Um, the other thing, too, I, just to further that, like you need to be able to cycle guys in, and that's why I thought UConn was going to be good and kind of reminded me almost of what we saw out of Purdue last year and why I thought Purdue was so good. Like Purdue had a star guard, which I guess Connecticut doesn't really have, but they can cycle big men. Like They've got Adama Snogo, who's a player of the year candidate, going to be all Big East first team, going to be an All-American, um, they've got him, but they can also go to Donovan Klingon off the bench too, seven foot two freshman who's fantastic on both ends. But in this game, Klingon picks up four fouls in nine minutes, and you can't have that. You can't use that to your advantage, um, especially in a smaller league like the the Big East is. This should be one of the major advantages that you have game in and game out. But unfortunately for for UConn, weren't able to take advantage of that in this one. You look at the game before, I mean, Klingon was fantastic. He had 20 points in 21 minutes. Um, had five blocks in that game, too. Stayed out of foul trouble. It was good for him. And uh, the, But the thing is, is you can't always play those two guys on the floor at the same time. You really can't very often. Um, I mean, the, the minutes kind of say that, too, by what you're seeing. Um, 
they pretty much will between Sonogo and Klingon will add up to 40 minutes every single game. And sometimes you wonder if that's a recipe for success. And I think largely, no, it's not because if you have to take two of your three best players and sit one of them at all times, pretty much, I'm interested to see if Hurley can find a lineup where this works because Klingon can step out and shoot a little bit, but they haven't really ventured into that a whole heck of a lot so far. I'm looking at um, Klingon's numbers. He's only taken one three. In fact, Sonogo's the one that's taken more of the three-point shots. He's actually taken 29 this year and is shooting at a a 38% clip. So um, I think that it'll be fascinating to see how Hurley tries to use the two of those guys because I don't I think it may be time to start experimenting with some lineups because right now it's not working now I will say this UConn has had a very very tough intro into the the Big East um, pretty much since the new year started Xavier and Providence that's your first road trip of the Big East that's not easy Um, followed up by a home game against Creighton that they won. Then you lose on the road to Marquette, and then you lose at home to St. John's. You really had to have that St. John's game. Now things get easier. You look at the next five for UConn. I really think they've got a great chance to go 5-0 over these next five. You've got home against, or rather, on the road against Seton Hall, home against Butler, home against Xavier, um, which will be a tough game, but at least you're at home. And then on the road at DePaul and at Georgetown, you have to take advantage of those two games right there. Those are the two bye games in the the Big East right now. So um, good chance to go 5-0. and And then you've got Marquette at home, Creighton on the road. Those are going to be two tough games. But um, if you got to pick up these next five. Then you can get yourself to 9-4, and four, and then the Big East certainly shakes up a little bit in that regard. Um, little nugget from the week, uh, Florida Atlantic. Ranked for the first time in AP poll history. Shout out to, to Florida Atlantic. They've had a nice little season uh, so far this year. Just looking at what they, they've done. So right now in Ken Palm, they're ranked 36th. Dusty May is their head coach. They are on a 16-game winning streak, which is the second longest in the country. And they've actually beaten some solid teams along the way as well. Like We're talking about some Ken Palm top 75s here. Um, they beat Florida early in the season on the road. Um, uh, who was ranked 44th on Ken Palm then. They beat North Texas, who was ranked 63rd, uh, 70th ranked UAB, 63rd ranked North Texas. So they've actually done a pretty good job. Conference USA is actually solid this year. Um, I think they'll get a couple of teams into the tournament this season. And right now, Florida Atlantic ranked 12th in the net rankings, so that's cool to see. They're, they're coming in at 24th in the, the AP poll as well. So shout out to Florida Atlantic. Um, this may have to be a new segment on the show because um, he's active. He's still active in the college basketball sphere, and that is Kevin Durant with a couple more college basketball tweets. It's all he does. He, he tweets about college basketball. People sometimes get upset with when KD tweets. I personally love when Kevin Durant tweets, um, but he tweets on, this was Wednesday, January 11th, so a week ago today, um, Texas was playing TCU, and he goes, yes, sir, another Big 12 win for at Texas MBB. Way to lock in, fellas, with the, the rock on emoji. And then over the weekend, he tweets, congrats to Chris Lofton, got his jersey retired at the University of Tennessee, one of the best competitors I've been with on the court, uh, respect number five. And I just love that Kevin Durant 
is tweeting about college basketball. He's loving ball of all levels. So um, that we will keep an eye out on Kevin Durant's weekly college basketball tweets because he is one of us. He is one of the college basketball lovers who, if he's not playing, he's watching a little bit of college ball, some NBA ball, all that stuff. I'd imagine Kevin has a pretty cool setup too um, when he's watching. He probably has like uh, five screens going when he's watching uh, basketball. He's got a couple NBA games on, a couple college games on, and he's just taking it all in. Um, all right, let's dive into the top 12 from the week. Again, these rankings are as time, at the time of recording. These are my top 12 teams in college basketball. This is not my top 12 from what I saw on Monday when the AP poll comes out. This is like, think of it like Ken Palmer the net. This thing gets updated every single day after every batch of games. So here is the top 12 for this week. Um, Let's start with number 12, Tennessee. Um, They dropped six spots here. Losing to Kentucky at home is dreadful. Um, But they may be a beneficiary. I was close to maybe kicking them out of the top 12. They did go out and win against Mississippi State last night on the road, 11-point win there. So that was a nice, solid victory for them. Um, but uh, like I mentioned at the top, so much parody in the sport this week. So it was kind of tough to, to kick teams out, especially one that would have taken as big of, of a nosedive as Tennessee. So they dropped six points, but, and listen, if you told me that they held Kentucky to 63 points, I would have guessed that they would actually win the game. But this offense right now, I, I've highlighted it a number of times. The defense is number one in the country right now. But the offense is 45th, and the offense is going to have to probably play at a top 25 level if this team wants to truly win a national championship um, because there's going to be games where, sure, you can hold the team to a low score, but I think he got to score 70, especially in the SEC night in and night out. This team's going to have to score 70. Like I'm looking right now at some of their power conference wins. Um. Butler, they scored 71-1. USC, they scored 73-1. Kansas, they scored 64, but they held Kansas to 50. Um, If you hold a team to 50, there's no excuse to to lose in that game. Maryland, they only scored 56, but they held Maryland to 53. Um, They lose to Arizona 75-70, but that's a really good offense from Arizona. 63-59 against Mississippi. um, 87-53 against Mississippi State. So, like... Holding a team to 63 should get the job done most nights for for Tennessee. Um, 85 against South Carolina, 77 against Vandy, 70 last night against Mississippi State. 63 should be enough, but the offense just wasn't good enough on the other end there. So um, I look at Tennessee. They took a dive, but got a couple of games that you should be able to take care of business at LSU this weekend and then home against Georgia. Um, and then you've got Texas in the SEC Big 12, which will be a fun one um, a week from Saturday. So looking forward to that. Um, next up, we got Virginia moving its way into the rankings here. Here's my, my stance on Virginia. And this is pretty much how things will apply in the ACC and Pac-12 here on out, is don't make headlines. Don't make headlines. Take care of business, and you will continue to be a team within the top 12. You'll see that. Um, a big reason why we saw Duke, Arizona bow out of the top 12 earlier on this season um, is because you're making too many headlines. Arizona's losing too many bad games. Duke's losing too many games that they should win. Um, Virginia is just sort of taking care of business here. 
and they're not making pet not making headlines which if you're in the acc if you're in the pac-12 i'll even throw the aac in there if you're not making headlines you're gonna find yourself nestled into the top 12 pretty much every single week so shout out to virginia steady team there number 10 is iowa state moving into the rankings they are my big 12 flavor of the week actually um beat texas Yesterday, handily at home, 78-67. They were getting beat up pretty good to start it, and then they came back from a double-digit deficit, um, narrowed I think they were tied at the half, and then uh, ended up pulling away in the second half. They're 5-1 and one right now in the Big 12, and I like to reward three, four-game winning streaks in, within the confines of the Big 12, and that is exactly what they've done. Their only loss is a two-point loss in conference to Kansas. Their, I should say their only loss is a two-point their only loss in the Big 12 is a two-point loss on the road against Kansas. They actually were going to get a bump up into my top 12 no matter what this week, but the win against Texas last night actually bumped them up a couple spots. I had them at 11, so they actually got a, a bump within a bump here. Um, moving up to number 10, um, I'm a big fan of TJ Otzelberger, great defensive coach, but this is one of those teams that may have offensive struggles from night to night as well. Um, just looking at their losses this year, um, they lost to UConn in the battle for Atlantis, and then they lost on the road to Iowa in a big rivalry game, and then they lose to Kansas on the road. Those are three pretty solid losses right there. So Iowa State's been a really good team. You look at their next four games, three of four coming on the road. I'm just – if I'm Iowa State, if I can get out of this with a split, I'm happy. You got – Two Big 12 road games and then a road game against Mizzou in the Big 12 SEC. And then you've got home against Kansas State. So you're at Oklahoma State, home against Kansas State, at Mizzou, at Texas Tech. If you can split these games, you take that and run to the bank with it. And then you set up a really big matchup against Kansas to open up the February slate on a Saturday in Ames. So that'll be a fantastic game. Looking forward to that one. But five really intriguing games coming up for, for Iowa State. But that's just life in the Big 12 pretty much. All right, on to number nine. We've got Texas who takes a three-spot uh, three bump. I think they're one of the bigger beneficiaries of chaos. Um, they did lose yesterday to um, Iowa State, like I mentioned. Um, in fact, you know what? I'm actually going to make an on-the-fly on the little, uh, little switch here. I'm going to bump Texas down to 10 and uh, move Iowa State up to 9 because of that head-to-head. -head. I, I think the games should matter. And when I was redoing my rankings last night, um, I don't know why this slipped by, but sometimes you just got to sleep on things and then you wake up with a little fresher mind and um, I'm doing that right now. So I'm actually going to bump Texas down to 10, move Iowa State up to 9. So Texas only a two-spot bump, but I kind of like how they've responded um, after some adversity with losing their head coach. Um, Rodney Terry, I think, has done a solid job so far. Road loss there happens especially in the big 12 um but texas i think has been playing some solid basketball um and their offense has been pretty steady marcus carr is having a, a nice little season as well so texas is my 10 iowa state is my nine that leads me into number eight where we find the xavier musketeers who continue a tear through the big east 11 game winning streak right now seven and oh within the conference um the 11 game winning streak also features victories against 
West Virginia, and then on the road against Cincinnati in a big rivalry game there. Um, they beat Marquette at home this week. They beat Creighton at home this week. The total margin of victory from those two games was seven. Um, this is a Xavier team that continues to grind out wins. You've got a road game against DePaul today and then a home game against Georgetown on Saturday. Those should be two victories, should be two comfortable victories as well. I'm seeing Ken Palm project Georgetown to be a 21-point win for, for Xavier. And then you go back-to-back road games against UConn and Creighton. Those are going to be really tough there. But if if Xavier can build itself a, a 9-0 start to the, the Big East and then maybe come away with a split in those two games against UConn and Creighton, um, they'll be sitting pretty within the Big East. Um, but... They, it's the fourth longest uh, winning streak in the country right now, and they've pretty much all come against teams you have heard of, which I think goes a long way in college basketball. So I like Xavier, like what they've done this year. They are currently uh, one of the front runners in the Big East and my current best team in the Big East. All right, on to number seven, and that is where we find Kansas State, fresh off of their big victory. They take the biggest jump of any team in the top 12 this week. They go up four spots. Um, again, I, I've talked about how much I love Jerome Tang. Um, it's unfortunate he may only be here for a year at Kansas State, um, but their only loss came over the weekend to TCU. 14-point um, loss on the road against a, a good TCU team, but you pick up the big win against Kansas. Um, you take care of business against Oklahoma State last week, and you're going through the Texas gauntlet too. Home game against Texas Tech this weekend. Um, it just kind of feels like they've got all the pieces in the mojo. This team is 16-2 and right now. Um, they've won every single game they've played at home. Uh, neutral site. They're looking like a really, really good basketball team right now. I love what I've seen out of Kansas State. Love their coach. Love a lot of their pieces. We've talked about them at nauseum so far today. I don't feel like I need to go into much more there. Um, next up, the steady climb continues for my number six team in the country, and that is Gonzaga. I guess I should throw them into the WCC, the WCC into the the disclaimer with the Pac-12, the ACC, the AAC. Just don't make headlines, and you'll continue to move up. Um, Killed Portland this weekend, beat them by 40. Close game against BYU, 75-74. Here's the one thing that um, I'm intrigued by and, uh, quite frankly, confused by as well. Um, For some reason, Gonzaga is not the highest-rated team according to the metrics, according to the analytics. You go to your Bart Torviks, your Ken Palms, your Nets, um, they're not the highest-rated WCC team. They that that title is currently held by St. Mary's, and what I would say about that is let's just make it make sense right now. All right, I, I don't know if the computer needs to be put in rice or, or what what needs to be done here. All right, because this thing needs to dry itself out. Um, St. Mary's right now is three and two in quad three games. Let that sit, like settle in here. Quad three it, like. Quad three are usually non-starters for tournament resumes. Like, you look at teams with with bad resumes, and it's because of quad three losses. And St. Mary's has two of them right now. Meanwhile, you look at um, Gonzaga; they are one and zero in the quad three. Um, you look at the the top. Like, I'm looking right now at the net rankings. I'm trying to scroll down to find the next two loss quad three 
the next two quad three loss team, you got to go to 31 where you find New Mexico. I'm trying to find like a power conference team with multiple quad three losses right now. Um, and I'm still scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It's Oregon. Oregon is three and two in quad three games right now. And they're ranked 67th in the net. Um, and this is a, a St. Mary's team that has fewer quad one wins than Gonzaga as well. They're one and one there. Well, Gonzaga's three and three. I just don't get it. Like it, it just needs to make sense. Like th- this is the year of our Lord, 2023 and, and St. Mary's in 2023 played against the Academy of art, the Academy of art. Like we, we made fun of Houston last year for dodging Gonzaga and playing our lady of the lake. Like, you're playing Academy of Art. You should not be a top 10 team. And I get that Gonzaga has also played its its uh, non-power or non-D1 uh, team too. They played Eastern Oregon. But that was at least in, in the height of non-conference play. That was right before uh, they got into WCC play. And that was in 2022. I don't get how the metrics like St. Mary's more than Gonzaga. It just needs to make sense. And every sort of statistic you look at, whether it's strength of schedule, whether it's quad one victories, whether it's quad three losses, it doesn't make sense to me. Not even slightly. Like let's move to quad two games. Um, St. Mary's is five and one. Gonzaga's five and zero. Quad three or quad one games. Gonzaga's three and three. St. Mary's is one and one. You've got the same winning percentage there. Gonzaga's just played three times as many of those games. Make it make sense. The math doesn't make sense to me. Unleash the formula. Let's see it, Kenny. Let's see it, Bart. I want to see it. Uh, NCAA evaluation tool. Um, I don't get it, but if someone can explain the math to me, be my guest. Um, Number five on my top 12 here is the team that took the biggest dive, actually. Um, Actually, no, not the biggest dive. Uh, That was Tennessee. This was uh, another significant one, though. And it's Kansas, and I feel bad moving Kansas back four spots, but just the congestion at the top made it tough to justify not moving them back four spots. I wanted to, um, full disclaimer, I actually made this Monday night to record Tuesday, got tied up with some things, couldn't couldn't record Tuesday, wanted to record it before. Um, And Kansas was going to be my number three team, but they dropped to five after that loss to Kansas State. Listen, they're still taking care of business, still picked up some nice wins in the Big 12. Um, but they did play games that they could have easily lost. Like, that game against Oklahoma was one that it felt like the Sooners were actually going to win. Um, the game against Iowa State was a game that they easily could have lost. So they've played three really tight games. And those two games before that, Oklahoma and Iowa State, were at home. You leave the fog and you lose you got a home game against TCU this weekend, chance to make that back up. But um, one thing that I kind of like in Kansas, too, is they, they sort of feel like those late 2010s Villanova teams, the ones that were going to championships, winning championships, getting one seeds, winning the Big East. Um, they feel like that. And here's why. You've got a steady point guard like Dewan Harris is, one with even championship-level experience, kind of like what Jalen Brunson was for, for Villanova. Um, and then you've got a great wing, 
to go along with that. You think about the Mikael Bridges, uh, Dante DiVincenzo's that uh, were featured on those Villanova teams. You've got that with Jalen Wilson, who, by the way, went lights out in that Kansas State game. He had 38 points. Um, He played some fantastic basketball there. Probably should have even had 41 points, but Bill Self called a timeout before the shot clock could expire, and Jalen Wilson hit a three, which wiped those three points off the board. Um, and then not a lot of size on these teams. Their biggest guy that that plays major minutes for them um, is Jalen Wilson, who's six foot eight. Um, you get a little bit of Zuby Ejiofor at six nine. Zach Clemens six ten. If they really need size, but those guys don't play a lot of minutes. They're getting less than fifteen percent of the share right there. Um, and then you've got uh, you've only got like a five six man rotation which is something that Villanova did a lot during those championship years. Um, so Bill Self has shrunk it down, like Jay Wright shrunk it down, and I think that there are Villanova vibes to this team, but could that mean that it's like 20, what would that have been, 2016 or 2017 Villanova, where you lose in the second round to an eight seed? Could that be what we're looking at here too? Maybe. All right, number four on my top 12 here, Purdue. They do not move. Um, they played in a lot of close games. They're finding ways to win these close games, though. And they're 17-1. and Their only loss this season is a one-point loss to Rutgers, who was always going to play you tough, especially defensively. But you're squeaking out some close games. Um, you had a close call against Ohio State, the close call against Michigan State. Both of those required some comebacks, too, as well. Um, but they're just playing good basketball right now. Monday, um, it... It's, it's the start of a three-game week for them, um, which is always tough, in, especially in the Big Ten. They're going on the road to face Minnesota, then at home against uh, Maryland on Sunday. If you can take advantage of uh, a weak Minnesota team, I, I think you'll handle uh, Maryland pretty easily at home. Um, but this is setting up pretty nicely here for a, a little winning streak in the Big Ten. We could be looking at, uh, let's see, the, a six, seven, eight, nine. You could be looking at a nine-game Big Ten winning streak here when you look at their schedule. And then things get interesting when you go on the road to face Indiana on a Saturday in Bloomington. So that could be the one where they trip up in. But... For right now, Purdue's looking pretty strong. They're my number four team. Number two, or number three, rather, getting ahead of myself, um, UCLA takes a two-spot jump in my rankings. And again, I've laid it out. Pac-12, ACC, WCC, AAC this season. Hold serve. You're going to find yourself in a nice spot. Um, 13-game winning streak right now for UCLA. That's the third longest in all of college basketball. They beat Colorado handily. They beat Utah handily at home. Now you've got the Arizona road trip coming up here at ASU, at Arizona, and then a rivalry game at USC for your next three. They, they're they the class of the pick, of the, the Pac-12 right now. And if you, they just continue to take care of business, I think they could lose one of the Arizona games. Um, then it's just, and I'm, I'm not going to ding them too much for doing that, um, especially if it's on the road this weekend but i think that you you look at the rest here you should be able to handle the majority of these games the rest of the way in the pac-12 you're seven and own conference right now if you can make it out of the pac-12 like 18 and 2 that's going to be a team that's going to finish in the top three four in my in my top 12 at the end of the year so all right 
Number two, we've got a new number two, actually, because we've got a new number one. My number two team is Houston, and they played a close game against South Florida last week. They didn't have a game over the weekend, and they blow out Tulane, a game that really got out of hand late, uh, more so than early. Tulane was kind of hanging around, keeping it in single digits for the most part. But 20-point win on the road against a top 100 Ken Palm team is always a good sign. Um, but they dropped back because my new number one team is the Alabama Crimson Tide because, A, Alabama's got the head-to-head victory over Houston. And even though they're a two-loss team, their two losses came against UConn when UConn was beating everybody and Gonzaga. But the run that Alabama's on right now, to be 6-0 and in the SEC on a seven-game winning streak – and just running through teams right now. They have won every SEC game they've played, including last night against Vanderbilt, by 11 or more points. Their average margin of victory in the conference right now is 21 points. And you could say, oh, well, that's just because there's a, a couple outlier games. Okay, yeah, there's one extreme outlier game in LSU that was a 40-point victory. But you've also got two other 20-point-plus win games and every game has been won by double digits so far. Brandon Miller, my, my man crush on him, continues in the LSU game. He was lights out, 31 points in 24 minutes. Let that sit. 31 points in 24 minutes. He was 7 of 11 from 3. And then last night against uh, Vanderbilt, followed it up with another 30-point game. He goes 30 points in 37 minutes, 4 of 9 from 3. Um, also had the double-double with, with 10 rebounds in that one. Um, I mean... He is the best player in college basketball right now. The best player. No one that I would want more on my team. And we're going to be looking, and maybe it's because he plays for Alabama, right? And he doesn't play for a traditional power. Like, you think about some of the the people talk about the best freshman seasons of all time. And you think of what Zion did a couple years ago, what Carmelo did with Syracuse. Um, Kevin Durant's name gets thrown in there, but I feel like, People talk about Kevin Durant's great season that he had at Texas, um, more so because of what he became in the NBA, too. Um, I'm wondering if we may do that with Brandon Miller, because what he's doing right now at a quote-unquote non-traditional basketball school um, is nothing short of spectacular. And he's doing it in the SEC, which in my eyes is the deepest conference in all of the sport right now. Um He's going out and putting up big numbers every single night. He's doing it on both ends of the floor. He's the best NBA prospect the sport has to offer right now, and um, in a which is even more incredible to me because he's doing it in a year where there's so much turnover or there's so little turnover to the sport. There's so much parity. There's so many returning big stars. You brought back the National Player of the Year, and right now. Brandon Miller is the best player in the sport. I know some people are going to go to bat for Zach Eady, and I get that. But when you're seven foot four, you've got a lot of advantages that others don't. And Brandon Miller, he, while he is a physical specimen at six foot nine and a wingspan that I don't know the exact details on it, but I'm guessing it's seven foot. Um, he's got physical gifts, but I think he does it at, at a more important position on the wing. And for a team that is as young as Alabama is. With three freshmen that start, another that sees significant minutes, um, to have your best player be Brandon Miller. He just looks like he's a guy who 
he kind of re- almost reminds me of Jaden Ivey a little bit with the way that he sort of carries himself. Like he carries himself like a guy who had a solid freshman season and then just woke up his his sophomore season and became this lottery pick potential guy. That's kind of what I see out of Brandon Miller, but he's a he is a true freshman. It feels like he's experienced two seasons in a matter of a couple of months right now. And Nate Oates, one of my favorite coaches in the country, um, he's just got this team playing at, at the highest level of any team in the sport right now. They are running through teams. Um, road game against Mizzou this weekend I think is going to be a good test for them. Um, but then you get into some of the other games that they'll face. Um, nice little kind of cushy landing spot. They do have a road SEC Big 12 against Oklahoma. But I like what I've seen out of Alabama a lot like a lot, a lot, and they're going to have a tough close to the season, but um, I think that what I've seen out of Alabama, they are the most impressive team in college basketball that I've seen in 2022-2023, um, and I don't think it's going to stop, so um, I, I, I just, I, I can't say enough good words about Brandon Miller, Alabama, the whole team. They they play like a group that is not made of a lot, made up of a lot of freshmen, which is like you think about what the SEC has been, um, the model for that has been Kentucky over the years, and right now it just kind of feels like Nate Oates is playing Cal's game at a higher level right now, which is a lot of fun to see. So that is my new number one team in the top 12, and I don't know when they're going to leave that post. They They could leave this weekend if they lose to Mizzou, which is obviously very possible, but Here's the thing about Alabama is they're doing it on both ends of the floor. They've held every single SEC opponent under 70 points so far. So they are they're not just they're not just spacing the floor, they're slapping the floor too. Um so grab your oars because we are we're looking at a fun Alabama ride the rest of the season here. All right, that is gonna do it for us here on today's basketball. You will be back next week breaking down um what should be an awesome Saturday of uh, college basketball. There's a lot of really fun ranked matchups. You get UCLA, Arizona, Baylor, Oklahoma, Texas, and West Virginia, Marquette, Seton Hall, um, Bama, Mizzou, like I mentioned, Iowa, Ohio State. A lot of, a lot of really fun, good matchups this weekend. Um, so we'll break down the weekend and week of college hoops as we've seen it so far. All right, we will talk to you next week. Yeah.